Hello, welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man thinks. Please enjoy this teaching, and if you want more, please visit the YouTube channel or the website on www.halesowenapostolicchurch.org. Well, the title of this sermon is It's Not Where You Start That Matters, It's Where You Finish. And our God lets us start many times over. So it's not just the start of our faith, that included, but it's every day we have these mercies anew. So let's have a little look at Jeremiah. Um, <clears throat> he started writing in 605 BC and he carried on writing his ministry um, went on until at least 586 BC, which was when Jerusalem fell. So he, he had a <coughs> he had a bit of a battle, <coughs> excuse me, with with all the people, uh, because it was a time of totally blinkered eyes to God from the Israelis and um, it culminated in a terrible time for the Jews where they were basically enslaved as an entire nation. Uh, they totally lost their freedom by the end uh, and the North Kingdom almost at the same time fell to the Egyptians <coughs> and the South Kingdom fell to the Babylonians. Um, and not only is this, not only did this happen <coughs> because they broke their covenant with God. But at the very time where Jeremiah is trying to tell them, turn, to, turn back to God, he will help you, he will save you, he will prevent this total destruction, if only you will turn back. At that very moment, did they turn to God? No, they turned to their idols. They turned actually away from God. Um, and, and as we read and learn more about the Old Testament, it's really important that we try to um, learn from these lessons that are given to us that have been handed down through millennia over, over these years. So <laughs> we have to be also, as we're learning, we've got to be really careful not to try and judge all the Israelis. I, I often I'm reading the Bible and the Old Testament think, ah, oh, you know, how stupid were they? They've got all these things happening to them and they still didn't believe. <clears throat> it's so easy to look back and see how, say how stupid they are. Um, but frankly, it's no different now. Uh, people still have their idols. People still put their faith in things that have no power. Uh, and they deliberately try not to believe. They just don't want to believe. And Jeremiah struggled massively with the, with the message of judgment that God gave him to give to his people and the, also the coming destruction of the land. This message at times was overwhelming for him. Um, he, he definitely felt that he couldn't cope with that by himself. And even now, in these different times, we do have a new covenant with God but it's the same God and we reject him at our peril. <clears throat> How else are we going to be saved? Through our good works, through being good people? Heaven forbid. There's no way to bribe God who has everything at his mercy in the palm of his hands. 
So we know that the best things we could do is the human race are like totally filthy rags. And even just logic would tell us that anything that the created thing can do, it wouldn't even come up to the, you know, to the heel of, um, of the creator. So we need to bear that in mind and we need to remember what these old people, these people in the Old Testament went through. The good news set out in the New Testament, <clears throat> it really is a continuation of the good news or the bad news, depending on what your position was back then, of the prophets in the Old Testament. That you can see the continuous stream of, it's the same bit of information that God's trying to tell us throughout the entire Bible. There will be judgment and destruction. And those who are in Christ, who have accepted the covering of the blood of Christ <clears throat> and have followed him, will be spared from that coming destruction. So you think you've got problems now. Things that cause you sometimes maybe to be slightly fa less faithful some days than other days. Well, think again. Jeremiah if you, if you read that, he serves to be a, um, an example to us all of someone that remained faithful to the work of God, despite his feelings, despite his circumstances, despite everything around him telling him otherwise, apart from God. God was the only person, thing there telling him, this is what you must do. So it's important that we learn from the people who remain faithful to God, despite the countless hardships that they encountered. And we can learn from that because <clears throat> they all ended up well, but they had to go through this. Not one person in the Old Testament um, had it easy all the way through. They all had the same tests. So our trials and tribulations that we have now every day, every week, every month, the problems we encounter as people now, as Christians trying to walk like Christians and follow the teaching of Christ, it's important that we have this sense of perspective. Um, it may not dull the pain of some of the things that happen to us, but at least we know that we're not alone. At least we know that others have gone through similar things and they show us what happens if we can get through to the end and stay faithful with God. <clears throat> they also show us what happens if we lose our faith, which we've learned a lot through the nation of uh, Israel, uh, the documented historical fact, and also some of the religious people in the New Testament and the, uh, the disciples that walked away, for example, uh, when Jesus, Jesus was teaching. And this is an important point. If we don't learn from history, we have to keep learning the basic principles of life time and time again. And there's no, no progression, there's no development, there's no growth. We have to keep going back to the original basic principles as, as humans, as a human race. <clears throat> and you can see that now, that if one generation misses the teaching of God, then it's very hard for the second generation to start teaching from nothing. There has to be that remnant, at least, to start to spark the fire. But it's much easier if we take that responsibility and ensure that the next generation are taught in the way they should go so that they can teach, fully furnished with the teaching of God to move forwards. 
Um, <clears throat> but if you don't teach the next generation, uh, the same mistakes will happen. Yeah, there's only one. You, you, there can't be many different lights. There can't be many different ways to live that are acceptable before God or that are ultimately correct. There's one righteousness. There's one way to live. And that's what God sets out in the Bible. So therefore, if you're not following that, you will make the same mistakes time and time and time again. And this is exactly what happened to Israel over the generations. They would have that remnant come back, teach them the word of God. And then you'd have a generation or two, and then gradually they would not teach and they'd fall away from God. And they ended up worship, worshipping idols in Jeremiah 9.14 as their fathers had taught them. So their fathers taught them to worship these idols and brought destruction upon their own children through how they brought them up. Where's the responsibility there? Yeah, apparently we are all entitled to an opinion but don't get mixed, that mixed up with the facts of God. Yeah, two totally different things. The facts of God render our opinions worthless, totally useless before this word that has stood the testament of time. Countless attempts to try and disprove that the word of God isn't powerful, that it isn't right. All of them failed and they end up in tears or converted one way or the other. It's so important that our younger generations are taught directly from the Bible and by spirit-filled teachers who know God, who've been through that process of God touching their lives and know without a shadow of a doubt that God exists and that he's working for good, if only we let him. And that's the only way that anyone, not just the next generation, but anyone we're trying to teach or witness or speak to, that really is the only way that people will see that the Bible is more than a book, that it's the living word of God, that it's powerful and that it can change things uh, beyond the power of man. Anyway, back to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, this sermon and the preparation for this really started with Jeremiah 18 uh, verses 1 to 6. And the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my wor words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in, it, the, ha in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I, cannot I do with you as, the, as this potter, says the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are also in my hand. Sometimes it's easy to forget how God works. Definitely when you're bombarded with stuff, um, in this current society, you know, the, you know, this just the, the, the love of God and it's got to be good and God wouldn't exist uh, if bad, thing, bad things happen so God can't exist and all that type of crazy thinking. Sometimes we get, forget the fundamental principles uh, and teaching of God, that we are indeed God's works. So that's not a final thing. So process and we learn from that just that one bit of scripture there's loads of it if you wanted to do a study on that that would be interesting 
but God, we're God's works and God's constantly working in us, through us and on us to the point that whoever keeps his word through those works in him is God's love perfected. And hereby we know that we are in him through coming through the other, other end, through trust in him, through that working, that refining process that our, our spirits, our flesh, our souls have to go through when we become Christians and we have to go against the things maybe we've been taught and the, the, the way that the world works and the people around us might not want that to happen. And that's how we've been brought up. So it's quite a big thing for us to change all of our ways and that's why it's a works it's a process jeremiah jeremiah heard these words and he had these words coming straight to him from god and even he was tempted to turn away from keeping god's word he really if you read it he didn't want to at the start yeah he received god's word and he was like oh i can't do this like most of the other prophets but he kept the faith and he became a living example of adhering to God's word no matter what. And no matter how uncomfortable it was for him. If you look at what he had to do, we'll talk about some of that. It puts our witnessing into that perspective that we need when we're living our lives. So who here has had to go to a king and tell him that everything he's doing is totally wrong and he must repent and follow God's word. <laughs> Who's had to go against their parents and the entire establishment um, of society at the time and tell them that God's judgment is coming upon them? We are blessed in some respect that, you know, our challenge, our mission is just to tell people about Jesus about salvation through faith. Jesus said in John uh, chapter 16, verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And then again, later on in John uh, 16, 33, that these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There appears to be a general lack of awareness, really, that to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. Yeah? The worldly environment we find ourselves in and be on the front foot, not just be kind of reactive and absorb everything. We've got to be on the front foot. Jesus gave us power and strength. We've got to be on the front foot ready just to speak life and light into this darkness and ignorance and push against the ignorance. That is the result of generations of unbelief. We sometimes despair at the response of our loved ones as we tell them about Jesus. I do. And we sometimes despair at our, our own actions in the flesh in trying to do things that might have the opposite effect and actually push people away from Jesus. That can be tough. Um, and the tribulation could be mental, physical or both. You know, that, that is this tribulation that we encounter. But if we put those two scriptures together, 
we need to consider whether God uses our experiences in the world to mould us into a vessel that seems good to the maker, that seems good to him. Those experiences aren't totally random. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. <clears throat> and he's always moulding us. And everything that we do, there's an opportunity uh, to be worked to the glory of God. But sometimes we just don't see that when we're in our flesh. And this is where faith comes in. Applying more importance to God's word than to our circumstances and the people around us. So what, what is it to the maker to totally destroy the old and create new in his image? On the face of it, we may just be totally dismayed by the things that happen to us that we cannot explain or the mess we get ourselves into. We think, where's God in all this? Sometimes it seems even possibly beyond hope and we can struggle with our faith and we can't see the light and we can't see any way out at all. And then we start asking, what's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of this pain, this tribulation? Why have I got all this to deal with? Well, the answer, much in every way is the purpose. Um, let's just look at one of those in Rome, Romans chapter 5, where Paul's trying to explain something similar. And therefore, he says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of our God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not makes us not ashamed because the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost which is given to us you can't kill that holy ghost it's there always for when we were yet without strength in these tribulations in due time christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die Yet, per adventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonements. Now, that, that's, a, that's a powerful scripture. They all are, but we look at that in the face of this. And then the first thing that came to me was all of that is totally irrelevant. It means nothing if you have not faith. All of that hangs together with faith. And what is our faith if it falls away when things go bad? That isn't faith. That's almost bribery if you think about it. I'm only going to believe when things are working well. So faith holds together and is the glue for all of God's promises. 
I've just read to you some incredible promises that work in tribulation, but they don't work if you don't believe they work. They don't work if you don't have the faith that God can do that in you. If we cannot believe that this is our reality, then it doesn't apply to us. That's how God works. For when we have problems, instead of cursing God and dying, we praise God and we thank him for the glory that is to come. Because if we truly trust God and we have that faith in God, we know that whatever tribulation we're going through, God will work it to good. That's what he tells us in a word. Do we believe the word or not? Or do we just pick the bits of the word that we like to believe that are easier to believe? This is where the faith comes. This is where the strengthening of, the, of our faith comes. Are you more bothered about your current problems? Do they outweigh the glory that is to come, the glory of our God? Remember the pot in the hands of the maker. Then remember Jesus, who literally came to destroy the old and create the new. This is that Jesus who willingly gave up in very nature God. He was in very nature God. And he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he had the power to do whatever he wanted to do. Rather, he made himself absolutely nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient unto death. There's a point he didn't even have anywhere to sleep. He just had nothing. And then he went through the passion of Christ, which we all know about. Death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, our God. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, going through those tribulations. And we, we learn about that. And he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But yet he still went through and died on a cross. He allowed those people to slap him in the face and spit on his face and kick him and pull him apart physically just to save us so that we could get through the problems that we have and keep our faith. So how about our friend Jeremiah? He had to go against his parents, his wider family, all his friends, all the priests, everyone telling him that he's crazy, he's wrong. He had to go against the ruling class. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Well, that's the challenge that we've got today. Did he despair? Yes, he did. But what did he do? Let's look at his actions. He kept moving forwards. He did not dwell on the obvious pain, sometimes physical pain. They put a yoke around him and he had suffering in the flesh for his faith. Both Jesus and Jeremiah were more focused on the glory to come than their current situation. Are you? When things go bad, are you focused on that or are you focused on the bad thing? Are you moving forwards or are you wallowing around in this pit of despair? God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to look forward to the light. And then I thought about Joseph. Wow, good old Joseph. Now I am there in the um, 
in the Bible reading for the year, just about to finish the bit about Joseph, sold into slavery by his family, falsely accused and found himself in jail. And according to the Bible, Joseph had behaved impeccably and still trusting God throughout all of this. And you know what more? He wasn't just default trusting in God and praying. He was productive. He allowed God to still work through whatever the environment. So even when he was a slave, even when he was in jail, he was trusting God and his hands were put to whatever was productive in that time. So even when you're in jail, if you have the faith, you can still be productive and God, if you let God work through you, you trust him to do these things. He kept the faith. He's a great example of faith to us. Through the good and the bad, he kept the faith. So even when it got good, he still thanked God and gave all the glory to God. And therefore God could still work through him for his glory. And he blessed Joseph at the same time, even though men had cursed him and physically abused him. And this is where our faith and knowledge of God comes in. Yeah, we need to be real with this. God is good. He does good and all things work together for the good of those who love him. But we cannot grow if we do not go through tribulation and come out the other side having tested our faith. It's through that test that we grow. It's a fact that through tribulation we have the opportunity to grow much more quickly than if everything's going well. Remember, iron sharpens iron. If we can pull through and learn to lean on God, even when we don't feel like it, we can discipline ourselves to trust God, to give it to God, and to believe that he will take these burdens and he will pull us through these problems. We will grow because God promises us that we will see the other side, that every night has a morning. The sun always rises. We just have to get through the night with our faith. That is a growth, my brothers and sisters. And that's trust. That, you know, that's the trust thing that we have here. We have to remember the lessons from the Old Testament and the fact that God often used destruction to get the Jews' attention and destruction to get them to follow him. And the fact that through their disobedience, we have the ability to be obedient to God. We have the ability to be saved, to have that personal relationship with God. You know, which Jew would have thought that through ignoring God, they would actually be blessing everybody on the planet. It's funny how these things work. Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they all should fall? This is Paul writing about the Jews. But, but through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Judging from the lessons of history, it appears to be the fact that the easier life, easier life gets, day-to-day -day life gets, the more luxury there is, the more time we have, the more money people have, the more resources people have, the more distraction people have. And the further away from God they get. We create our own idols like television, computers, music, whatever it is. All an idol is is something that comes before God, that distracts us from the one true God. 
And we are in that society, you can see it, compared to all previous societies, there's more free time, there's more available resources to do what we want to do than people have had, most people have had for all human time. Therefore, if you think about it, the pursuit of worldly goods cannot be the purpose of life. Kev's just talked talk about that. It's not about the money. And Mark said, it's billionaires trying to get more money. That's a total, that's their idol, yeah? They, they've lost touch with reality. They probably don't even know what reality is. <clears throat> God teaches us that the things we're given, these money, this money, whatever resource we have, is a means to an end. It's not the end, yeah? It needs to be put to use. Remember Joseph, what he had, he put to use for the, per for the glory of God. And God blessed him for that. The end is a reward for sacrifice or the fa and faith. If we look at these Greek philosophers that, that Paul came into contact with in the book of Acts, they often grappled with big questions and the purpose of things. These people such as Aristotle, Plato and Socrates, they really were bright, brainy, intelligent teachers, speakers and thinkers. They were the best of their day. But when you look at it, they only nibbled around the edges of the really big questions. They really had no idea of life beyond death and life beyond the natural constraints of man. Some of them got close, actually. I was looking at this. Plato, he said, he started looking at the separation of body and spirit. And, and when he was writing about 400 BC, so not a million miles away from where Jeremiah was going through all this, he believed in the existence and immortality of the soul, even then, uh, which imprisoned the body. And then there is a heavenly realm where the thoughts of equality, justice, humanity come in, and that's it. That's really the closest they got to what we know as the truth. Despite all the thinking, the pontification, their society was a total mess. People were still the same. <laughs> Despite how much they thought about these things, the people didn't change. They didn't know God. They still sinned. They still struggled with the same things. There's no force, no power. Their idol was thinking, thinking they knew it. Their thoughts were their idol. In truth, they were totally lost. Even the wisest men, right, reasoning from the bottom up, were lost. And even now they still get lost when it comes to the big questions. For all their thinking and debating, they got themselves in a mess and were so far away from the truth and knowledge of the one true God. We learn from Paul's eyewitness account what this was like in reality. Paul realised this immediately, by the way. I'll read from Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of everything. You are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth 
and does not live in temples built by men. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everybody life and breathes life and everything else into him. For one man, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him, that they, and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah, that's the power of God. As some of your own poets have said, we are his off offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. <clears throat> For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by, man, by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. <clears throat> this is what I mean about rejecting God at your peril. We have the evidence. We have the information. We have the testimony. There really is no excuse for unbelief apart from gross ignorance and a, and a hard heart and a stiff neck. As usual for Paul, this is such an eloquent summary of the gospel, isn't it? And he highlighted the darkness that the world was in. The best, the best people could come up with was so far away, was totally wrong. They needed a saviour, they needed someone that could help. These were the most learned men whose full-time job, this was their full-time, this is all they did every day, was to find truth in life. And even they needed a saviour. Jesus is that light. Without Jesus, we'd still be in this darkness, groping around for the truth, not knowing what to worship, how to worship and what to do. His brightness shone that light on God, on the very nature of God. And it shone the light also on the nature of God that we've been taught throughout the Old Testament too. And that light now, this very day, is reflected upon us through our faith through the things we do with our faith, through how we react and speak in the face of these things that we go through. The light highlighted a path to purpose, righteousness, wholeness and salvation. But Jesus didn't just come with words. He came with power and authority. He was able to demonstrate his power because he was God manifest in the flesh. He spoke as God speaking to us he forgave and forgives sins worked miracles in the world like no one could imagine and no one had ever seen before and he left us his power so that once we are baptized in his spirit we can find the truth even in the pitch black darkness that's why it has to be in us not around us it's astonishing even now to think of that we can have this kind of knowledge, this kind of purpose, this kind of power that those philosophers that are still held up even today 
couldn't even get near. They couldn't even touch. They couldn't even work it out. But we have that now at our disposal every single moment of every single day. It's incredible. Hasn't God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame those of the wise? God has chosen the weak things of the world to put the, to shame the things that are mighty. Why? So that God gets the glory. It's not man, it's God. Just been learning about Gideon today. He started with 32,000 people. He went down to 24,000 people. Then he ended up with 300 people to fight an army that was already 10 times bigger than his original army. The reason God got him to do that was so that people wouldn't have pride, so that people would know it's God and by no means man trying to do all these things. The necessity, therefore, is for us to exchange our will for his. That is the extension, that's the personal request that God's given us. Time after time again, remember the power of God. Do not think your will is greater than the will of God, that your will is even right, vaguely righteous. We have to exchange that will for God for God's will. God showed us through Jesus that the word and the spirit will bring us home. And that really is all he's ever shown us. And that has been trying to tell us. The fact that God had to preach, that Paul had to preach to the Greek philosophers showed us how much knowledge had been lost. They did not know the scriptures, they didn't even know the teachings of Solomon and King David, that all is vanity if it's without God. And these Greeks literally worshipped an unknown God. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Yet they provided this idol. Yet we have that capacity always to worship something that God's given us, don't we? Amazing. And now fast forward to 2021. This shows us that each one of us has an awesome responsibility to communicate this truth and then to teach the truth of God, the truth about God to men and women who are willing to listen. God's word is bigger, much bigger. There is power in this perspective that we have of God, of history. It can make our problems look much smaller if we have that faith. It's our responsibility to teach the Bible to our ch children, to the next generation, and to, to ensure that they are well equipped to teach it to their children. It's through this carelessness. So God talks about diligence in the faith. Well, he talks about that because of the carelessness, the opposite of that, the lack of diligence that creates and breeds unbelief. Over generations, we now live in a society that is the result of that, that barely knows the smallest element of truth, yet thinks it's right. Doesn't even want to ask the big questions, let alone try to answer. We now have a society that actively encourages people to work against God. That's how far it's gone. That's how we know that we are not far from the end. And the people do not know enough to resist. No matter how distasteful our flesh finds it, the word of God is the word of God. It need not be updated or changed. Otherwise, God 
wouldn't and couldn't be God. He wouldn't be perfect and complete. So don't kid yourself. God is not mocked. How could the marred vessel resist the will of the potter to remake it into something good? We need to willingly accept the tribulations with faith, knowing and trusting God that he's remaking us into something more useful for him. <laughs> How dare we resist that? Do we not realise that there is a judge and we cannot live life just as we see fit, as if we were God? God has given us free will so that the love that we have for him can be unfeigned and real. This will needs to be worked into something befitting the image of God. It needs to be hammered into a vessel of honour. It needs to be broken down and rebuilt, allowing God to rebuild that. If we just go through life in the default without accepting any of that, that's a vessel of dishonour for God. Remember the joy. I had to remember this this week. We are saved by grace through faith. I love that. It's that faith again. Yeah, we do not have to take the pressure of having to do all this stuff. Gideon didn't have to take the pressure of doing it. He just had to follow God. Even blindly, blindly following God. Fine, whatever. Jesus followed what the Father told him. Jeremiah followed God. Joseph trusted God. And he realised straight away that it's better for him to trust God than not to trust God, even though all of those horrible things happened through him. Is there grace without any faith? I don't think there is. We have a choice to keep the faith throughout our lives. We have a choice to work on it, to test it, to embed it into our ways. This is a process and the process and the purpose. This is the purpose of the stumbles that we go through, the fallow periods, the darkness, the struggles, the struggles of life, so that when the end comes, we can look back and say we have run that race of faith. We can see that the end is better than the start. We are happy to restart again, knowing that God's with us. So remember, don't judge yourself. Don't judge others. We cannot see the future. Our only option is to proceed with faith in God. And God has been telling us this for at least 3,000 years. It's his will that will work out okay in the end, not ours. And only for those who trust that his will is that powerful. <laughs>